in, to serve in the churches in Mexico. So I think we have a slide here, the 12 people. Some of them, I think about half of them are here today. So if you're a part of this team and you're going to go on the trip on Friday, I want you to come on up. Okay, come on up front, and we want to take a moment and just send them off. And uh, Matt and the rest of our elder team is just going to pray over this team. And when we're down there, we're going to be doing some construction projects. We're teaming up with several other churches from the Fort Wayne area that kind of head up the trip. And so we're partnering with them. We'll be traveling by bus. So it's a 24-hour bus ride down there and a 24-hour bus ride back. Yeah, you guys were thinking we were going to Mexico and, you know, laying on the beach. And uh, no, this is, not, we're not doing that. Uh, we'll also be working in a, a home with severely handicapped children. We'll be doing some things that, are, that they have a relationship with there. So I'm excited about uh, these people. So there's six of us that are going to be on the team. And so we have uh, Josh Black, Jonathan Black, Senna Hendricks, Brooke Turnbull, Daniel Coons, and myself. And so, Matt, will you come up and just pray over this group? Uh, oh, and I put on the end, uh, down at the bottom. You can follow. We'll have pictures and stuff on the uh, Exodus Facebook page and or Twitter or the hashtag XOMEX. Well, that, like that, that's pretty catchy, isn't it? So we'll, we'll, all these people will be hashtagging that, and you will be able, from your own living room, be able to see what's going on with the trip. Yeah, check that at about 20 hours into the bus trip and see what they're see what he's saying there. So, uh, uh, Brian and Jason, just kind of put your hands on their shoulders and let's uh, pray for them. God, your, your word says you go before us and you prepare good works in advance for us. So we believe that um, for every single person here, you go before us. The next few weeks of all of our lives, you know what's heading, what we're heading into and you go before us and open up doors. But we want to pray specifically for these who are going down to Mexico in the next week and... Um, God, we know there's always unexpected things and uh, potholes and things that don't go right or other, whatever ways. But God, most of all, what we want is we want you to do good things in the hearts of uh, these men and women who are going and the hearts of the men and women and the children they serve. Because God, you do really good work. And uh, so we pray that you would get uh, your blessing over them. Play protection. Uh, but most of all, we pray for uh, just a wide openness to whatever your Holy Spirit wants to do in each of their lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, again, if you're uh, here today, you know that uh, if you're not a visitor, then you know that we're Exodus and Genesis meeting together. And uh, so I spoke last week when we met at Genesis. Today, Pastor David Woodcock is speaking today. Let me give a couple words about David. Um, one of the things we talk about in Exodus, at least you've heard me say, is we talk about the weird meter. The weird meter being when, when you're not, you know, when you kind of delve into the invisible world, the Holy Spirit, and it's stuff that for all of us is a little bit stretching. And uh, so we want to be comfortable with the weird meter. This is the way I would describe David. Uh, David does the weird meter with wisdom. All right. No, I, I'm not saying that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They, they, uh, I, call, I, I will often ask David for wisdom about things related to spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, um, because I think all of us want to grow in that way. We want to grow. How do we understand the invisible world? How do we understand uh, the workings of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean as spiritual leaders? So David's been a mentor to me in those ways. Um, so, the, like I said, he does the weird meter really well with a great deal of wisdom and balance and groundedness. So, uh, just welcome David here this morning, and uh, thanks for coming to us. Thank 
Well, I've never been introduced that way before, but that's all right. <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. I just want to say it is a great privilege to be here this morning. We, we, uh, we are loving being here with you. I believe that God is pleased with this meeting, and um, uh, it, it's fun to be in the downtown, downtown core here in Bloomington, and, and we just applaud what you're doing here, Exodus. Uh, the worship this morning was phenomenal, getting the both the two worship teams together, and uh, we're excited about what God is doing. Now, um, I this is the first part of a, a two-part message. You got to come to Genesis uh, next week to get the second part. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, no, not really. But but my my heart has been stirring for this new year, 2014. And when Matt and I were talking about putting this together, I was going to go in another direction for this morning. But I I really felt like the Lord said, "No, I want you to stay on this and sort of I'm sort of a." Uh, series preacher, and I, I get on something, and I ride it like a dead horse till everybody's bored with it. And uh, so anyways, I, I just want to start something this morning. And and um, in Exodus, I'm just going to treat you like we're in our house this morning. Is that okay? That we're all family, so, so we don't have to, uh, let's get over the introduction stuff. We're just friends. We're family. We're here. And, and I feel like the Lord has got something that I just want to deposit into your spirit for a few moments, and then you can take it, you can run with it, you can do whatever you feel like God is telling you to do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. It's a familiar passage of Scripture, and uh, just felt like the Lord wanted me to go there first, starting in verse 3. He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the city of Samaria called Sitkar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, there came a woman from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about understanding the mission of God. Now, I was going to entitle it Understanding the Mission of God for Our City, but I believe it's much bigger than our city. How many know that God has called us to be global Christians? Do you understand that this morning? When they were baptized with the fullness of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So I believe that I'm talking to a global congregation this morning, and God is putting it on our hearts to be a global people. Now, there's another passage of Scripture that I just want to go to this morning, if I could. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Let me just pull this up here. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And, um, and Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world a city on a hill that cannot be broken. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Now, I love Eugene Peterson, and I had the privilege in my seminary to have Eugene speak for a week when I was up there in Toronto studying for my uh, my graduate studies. And Peterson wrote the message. Some of you probably read from that. 
And I love what he says about this passage. He says, I, 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 I want to tell you something. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Another way to put it, he says, is you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors of this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We are going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? Now that I have put you there on the hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open to open up to God, this generous Father in heaven. Several years ago in 2002, uh, National Geographic, they did a, a special series on some of the changing trends that are happening in the world. And it was the turning of the millennium going into the 21st century. And, and National Geographic came up with these five trends that are going to affect not only America, but they're going to affect the world. And I think we as a church, we need to understand, and I think you probably do, many of you understand here today that these things are already starting to affect us, and we have to deal with them. Number one is that there's a radical migration of people that are coming into America today. See, the season of buying a home and living in that home for 50 years like your parents did or your grandparents did, that day's over. In fact, it's interesting that, that when my parents were growing up, they lived in a house for almost 50 years, a little, uh, a little ranch-style bungalow, about 1,300 square feet, and raised three boys. We knew our neighbors. We knew everybody around us. We knew the guy who built the house. But that's changing today. And not only do we have people that are coming into our neighborhoods that have moved from another city, but now they're moving from other countries, and they're becoming our neighbors. Another thing that they said is there's an urbanization of the world. You know, in 1950, there were five cities that had over 5 million in population. In 2002, that was 12 years ago, there are 35 cities in the world that have over 5 million. San Pablo, Brazil has over 18 million. I've had the privilege of being in Shanghai, China, where there's 16 million, and Beijing, where there's 12.5 million. So there's an uh, urbanization uh, globally is growing, and that the church needs to focus on the major cities of the world. Another thing that we learn is the population explosion. We're over 6.5 billion people in the world today, many of them many of them wanting to come to the West. Literally, the mission field is coming to America, and we see that in Bloomington, Indiana. Another thing they mentioned is we're in a technology revolution. Isn't it interesting that you can press the button on your computer and you can get any message you want to hear from the media gurus? There's all kinds of messages out there today. And then the last one that really struck a chord with me is that there's a new spirituality. 
See, back in the 50s and the 60s in America, in the West, the spirituality was either you're a believer or you're a non-believer. Either you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian. But today in America and all over the world, your neighbors could be Hindu, they could be Muslim, they could be anything. And the reality of it is that there's lots of people that are coming into this spiritual awakening that Christianity means absolutely nothing to them. In fact, Jesus Christ is just one path of many as far as they're concerned. So I think we as the church, we need to ask ourselves some tough questions. And here's some questions I want to pose to you this morning, if I could. First of all, is what we are doing really making a difference? Just think about that a minute. Here we are as a group of believers in Bloomington, Indiana on this beautiful Sunday morning, and I'm asking the question myself as we go into this new year, is what we are doing, is what I'm doing making a difference in the society and the city in which I live? In fact, a couple of things. Is it changing my life? Is Christianity changing your life? Is it changing the destiny and the direction of the people around you? That's a good question this morning. My wife and I are celebrating 34 years of ministry. We started out in 1980. Some of you weren't even born then. I was 25 years old going into a hamlet of 200 people. I remember when the district office called my name and said, hey, how would you like to go to this church in northern Canada? 200 people in the town, 35 years of ministry. And I'm still asking this question this morning, is what I'm doing changing the destiny and the direction of people around me? And then is your sphere of influence better because of what you're doing as a Christian? So the first question that I think we need to ask in this changing society is what we are doing really making a difference in our lives and in the lives of others? The second question that I posed to you this morning is are we preaching the right gospel? Are we preaching the right gospel? In fact, let me ask you this this morning. Do you know the gospel that you're preaching? Because when I look at the gospel in America, sometimes it's diametrically opposed to the gospel of Jesus. You know, in America, there's three gospels. First of all, there's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel embraces what's right for me. We see this on TV all the time. No, I'm not against prosperity and blessing. I believe God wants us to be prosperous and to be blessed. But in reality, if, it all, if all that gospel is doing is blessing us and embracing my selfishness, then what good is it doing for our community? The second gospel is the ecclesiastical gospel or the denominational gospel. It's the gospel that embraces the institution. Now, I'm okay with institutions, and I'm okay with denominations. Our denomination is going to be 100 years old next year in 2014. We started from a humble beginning in Azusa Street, 
back in back in a uh, hundred years ago, and God has blessed us, and God has helped us to go around the world. But Jesus didn't die for a denomination, right? He didn't die for he didn't die for an institution. The gospel is not about a denomination. It's not about some religious hierarchy or some building that we spend money to keep uh, to keep going. But it's about lives. And then thirdly, there's the liberation gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but um, we live in Bloomington, and the liberation gospel is very important to us. We just spent the last three years highly involved in the homeless community of this city. And I thank God for the privilege to be involved in that homeless community. I thank God for the friends that God has allowed us to, has brought into our lives because of the homeless community, and we've embraced them, we've loved them, and we thank God for them. But let me tell you something, friends, this morning, the social agendas of our day are not going to change men and women's lives for eternity. Did you hear me? The social agendas and the social gospel of our day, as good as they are, will not change men and, lives, uh, men and women's lives for eternity. Only Jesus Christ will do that. So the third question I'm asking myself this morning, and I hope you'll ask it with me, well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, the problem is the Jesus gospel. Look what Jesus he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And then he said to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's the gospel that Christ wants us to preach. The third question this morning I want to ask is does it embrace the real needs of our community? Is what you're doing today, what you believe in today, really embrace the needs of our community? See, here's the question that I'm asking after 35 years of ministry. Well, first of all, people aren't sitting around on Sunday morning asking who has the best worship in town. That's not the questions they're asking in Bloomington, Indiana. I love this style of worship. I love what happened this morning in this place. But there's a lot of people out there, they're not asking who has the best worship in town. They're not asking who has the best building in town or the most comfortable pews. Pastor Matt was making fun of it last Sunday morning because we call ourselves, our pews are five-hour pews. When we get you in there, we're going to keep you. That's why you've got these chairs. It's one-hour seats, right? I got you for about 15 minutes in this place, so I got to make it count. But in reality, the people out there aren't asking who has the sharpest building. They're not interested in, in what doctrine we're preaching. So we got a bunch of uh, uh, churches that are growing today, and I bless them, and I thank God for them. But everybody in the churches, well, are we into Reformed doctrine? Well, the world doesn't care. The people out there, they don't care if you have Reformed doctrine. They don't care if you have charismatic doctrine. They don't care if you have good Catholic doctrine. Here's the questions that I'm finding today in Bloomington. What will I do if I lose my job? That's a question that's being asked. 
Another question that's being asked is, how can I fix our marriage? Another question that's being asked is, how do I get rid of these addictions? Talk to the homeless community. They tell us nationally 40% of the homeless community are addicted to something. And then the last question that I hear all the time because I deal with young people and it's a fatherless generation is, does anyone believe in me? Does anyone care? Does anyone have hope for my future? And I think these are some questions that, that our city is asking today. These are questions that are on the radar of people that are outside this building this morning. And, and as I go into 2014, I'm, I'm asking myself as a pastor in this beautiful city with a great congregation, God, how can we answer the questions and meet the needs to those that are outside our four walls this morning? Now, just quickly, I want to come back to John chapter 4. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture in Diam. I've spent much time in it over the last, the last year. I call it the Jesus model or the Johannian model because I, I find that w when you look at this passage of Scripture, the gospel according to Jesus, you realize that I, I believe that God wants to get us back on track to a couple of things that, Jesus, that happened here between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Well, first of all, the story is very interesting because, number one, is that Jews didn't like Samaritans. In fact, Samaritans were considered half-breeds. They were considered lower than Gentiles. Historians tell us that Jews oftentimes would, when they had to go up through Samaria, they would pass to the east side of the River Jordan and if they were going to the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem or up to Capernaum, that they would pass on the east side of, of the Jordan up through Decapolis so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. They wanted nothing to do. They had very little dealings with Samaritans. Another thing that is interesting is that Matthew and Mark, two of the gospel writers, they never mentioned Samaria. They, well, they mentioned the Samaritans once, each one of them. John talks about the Samaritan woman here in John's Gospel, chapter 4, and Luke probably gives more time to the Samaritans than any other Gospel writer. But the other three don't spend a lot of time on this whole group called the Samaritans because they were of the lost tribes of Israel. In fact, in 1 Kings, chapter 12, when you go back and read that, there was a division of Israel. And the ten tribes went to the north under Jeroboam, and Rehoboam, he was the king of Jerusalem. And so the Samaritans got messed up with the Gentiles, some of the lost tribes, and therefore many of them didn't even consider them as a part of Israel. I find it interesting that Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus is sending out the apostles, and he's saying, all authority has been given unto me, and I give it unto you, but I don't want you to go in the way of the Gentiles, and neither do I want you to enter in any city of the Samaritans. And yet, guess where we find Jesus? 
The Bible says in John chapter 4 that Jesus is on his way through Samaria, and I believe that Jesus knows all things. He knew that a Samaritan woman was probably going to come along at that time, and that woman would turn out to be the greatest evangelist in that area that Jesus ever had. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus sits down at the well and he begins to speak to this woman. What are you saying, Pastor Dave? I'm saying that if we're going to understand God's mission, then we need to understand that God is going to ask us to take unusual risks this year. I want to say that again. If we're going to understand the mission of God for our city and our nation and I believe the world, because God has called us into global Christianity, we're going to take unusual risks this year. And I believe it's ordained of God. In fact, it's interesting in this passage of Scripture, I love it, it says that he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob. Let me ask you this. Do you ever notice in Scripture, I love it, who Jesus hangs out with? Jesus hangs out with the most motley crew of people that most of us wouldn't want to hang out with. Look at the disciples, the woman at the well, Zacchaeus, the woman caught in adultery, Mary who comes and breaks the alabaster jar of oil and anoints Jesus' feet. What is that all about? If it was us, we wouldn't want anything to do with those people in public. And yet Jesus always picks, as Brennan Manning calls it in his book, The Ragamuffins, he always picks the ragamuffins of society, and he takes the biggest risk with those type of people. I, um, I have a friend of mine up in Canada He's a, he's a pretty prophetic guy. In other words, he, he sees things quite well, and I, I love him. He's, he's Mohawk Indian. name is Barry Miracle. He, I, I grew up with the Miracle family at Tynanaga Indian Reserve and, and, and uh, goofed off with them, and Barry's a good friend and got saved in his family and very instrumental in the whole uh, First Nations in Canada. And he, he sends me an email last week, very prophetic, and he says, Dave, I believe that, that 2014 is going to be a year of great or a double blessing with men and women that are willing to take risks for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, now, when he said that, it sort of took me by surprise because I was sort of heading that way, and it was a confirmation of what God had already dropped in my spirit. How many, how many know that numbers are very important to God? All right? Got a whole book written on it, right? Numbers. Numbers are important. How many know that seven is the perfect number? You understand that? Seven is the per How many understand that, that 14 is double perfect? Right? Right? It's double perfect. So, so could God be getting ready? I'm just asking you this. He said, I'm going to get in a little weird scale a bit here, meter, okay? Could God be saying, could God be saying that 2014 is going to be a year of double blessing for those that are willing to take risks for the kingdom of God? Could he be saying that? I think, I think it could happen. Because when you look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, it was a gospel of risks. 
So I think we have to ask ourselves this morning, Exodus and Genesis, what are the risks that you want me to take for the expansion of your kingdom? Now, I'm going to get into the second part of this next week with our congregation, but the number one thing that hinders us from taking a risk is fear. And we're afraid of what we're going to lose. The parable of the entrusted money will go there another time. We're afraid of what we're going to lose. But God is saying the gospel is the gospel of risk. Did Jesus not take a risk on us? Did he not? Oh, my goodness. Did he ever take a risk on Dave Woodcock? There's another person that took a risk on me, my wife. She's the other person. People thought she took leave of her senses when she got engaged to me. But the reality of it is that's the gospel. And the gospel, whether you're a university student, an elementary student, a mom and dad, a grandfather, while you're here in Bloomington, God wants you to take risks. And I believe he wants you to take risks with people that nobody else wants anything to deal with. Secondly, notice this, it always involves people and building relationships. I love it in John chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus said, give me a drink. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. You never eat your bread alone. If you're eating your bread alone, what God has given you, you haven't got the gospel. Because the gospel is not something that we hide The gospel is not something that we keep for ourselves. The gospel is to be given away this morning. And so Jesus said, give me a drink. And the woman said in John chapter 4, verse 8, how is it that you being a Jew ask me? You know why? Because the gospel always crosses every prejudice line. Whether it be political whether it be social, economical, educational. It doesn't matter to Jesus Christ. The gospel crosses every political line. So it involves people and it involves building relationships. I think what God is asking us as the church is to find out what people need outside our four walls today. We need to... We need to gain their trust. We need to earn their respect. I applaud you, Exodus. I applaud you for being here in the middle of town in this Boys and Girls Club. You know why? Because you've already are ahead of the game. See, where I'm at, we have to bring down the stained glass barriers. We're trying hard to do it. But we have a church that sits up on a hill. Do you know how far that hill is? Do you know how far it is to drive up that driveway to get to our place? You know why people don't come to Genesis? It's because they think there's alligators in the moat. <laughs> there's t- it's too far a drive from the curb all the way up to the hill. Now, it's one of the highest places in Bloomington, and I believe God had a plan and a vision back in 1962 when he placed that church there on that hill. There's a vision for that place, but I believe that God wants us to bring down the stained glass barriers so we can touch a community and win their respect and associate with them so they will be open for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you're already ahead of the game here where you are at the Boys and Girls Club. You know, you know, a building can be great advertisement. 
It can be great, but it's but it's not it's not everything. And sometimes we we need places like this in the heart of the city that when they're worshiping, when you're worshiping the Lord on Sunday morning, you are speaking things into the heavenlies over this city that nobody else is doing in the downtown core. Do you understand that? There's power in words. There's power in worship. So when Jeremy is leading you in worship on Sunday morning and the worship team is singing, you are speaking things in the heavenlies over this city downtown that we can't do up there on the hill. And we join with you and we applaud with you because it always involves relationships. One last thing that the gospel take a risk. It's always compassion with direction. Now, the true gospel is revelation without condemnation. Let me just read this to you quick. It's by Paul Tillich. It's out of the Ragamuffin gospel if you haven't read it. Paul Tillich wrote The Shaking of the Foundations. Grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when year after year the long for perfection does not appear, when the old compulsions reign within us as they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Sometimes at the moment a wave of light breaks into our darkness, and it is as though a voice was saying, you are accepted, you are accepted accepted by that which is greater than you and the name in which you do not know. You do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. You do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. You do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept that you've been accepted. I like that. Simply accept that you've been accepted, and if that happens to us, we've experienced grace. Here's my challenge to this wonderful church this morning, gathering of Christians in Bloomington, that we would be grace people with great compassion, and compassion with direction, because the true gospel is always revelation with compassion. But secondly, the true gospel is always revelation with direction. Always revelation with direction. And see, the, the woman said, the woman said, go call your, Jesus said, go call your husband, and you have said well that you have no husband. That's compassion without condemnation. But then Jesus had something else for her. He said, I don't want to leave you there, but I want to tell you that an hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And it, that's revelation with direction. And so what are you saying, Pastor Dave? I'm saying that God is calling every one of us here this year to be carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not to the Christian community, but to the unchristian, to the new neighbors, to the mission field that is moving into Bloomington. So I want to encourage you this year. And I also want to encourage you to walk in a double blessing for 2014. God loves you. <laughs> he gave his best for you. 
He's got good plans for you, and he wants his destiny fulfilled in your life. So do it this year. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you for this great privilege of being here this morning. I thank you for the church of Bloomington that has gathered together. Father, I, I, I thank you for what you're doing in our city. God, because I truly believe that as goes Bloomington, many times goes the state of Indiana. And Father, I thank you for bringing the church together. I thank you for the young people, the next generation that are gathered in this house. And God, I pray that you will stir us with your gospel. I pray that you'll stir us to be the men and women to take this gospel to this city and change the environment of our city. Father, that we would understand that your mission is for Bloomington to be righteous. Your mission is for Bloomington to be righteous today. So God, stir us. Stir us as an army of God. Join together to see that come to pass. In your name, amen. Thanks, David. Hey, what we do every Sunday at Exodus, we take communion every Sunday, and that's how we, we finish. And uh, the way I like to say it, it's kind of the apex of what we do because it's a reminder that we can't be the kind of people that Pastor Dave talked about apart from the life of Jesus inside of us. And when Jesus, when he, the next part of that story, when he tells the, the woman at the well, he says, uh, the water I give you, when you drink it, you won't thirst again. And when you drink this, it will be like a well of living water bubbling and bursting forth out of you. So when we take communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, offer it to his disciples. It was